I know it's, it may seem, or at least it is in my heart, to be very self-serving when I talk about people joining the church. But I want you to hear what I, what I have to say today. I think I, what I'm going to say is very biblical. Some of you are already a part of this church, though you haven't actually realized it yet. <laughs> uh, you come, you serve, you, you, know, you do a lot of things within this church. You come every week, you worship here. And, you know, this is your church. Uh, it's sort of like this. There was a guy that I uh, had in one of my churches. And uh, he and this lady had been, they, they, they lived together and, and they had two children. They had never formally been married. When I talked to him about it, he said to me, I just don't know if I'm ready to make the commitment. I said, buddy, you got two children. You've already made the commitment. You just need to realize it now. You realize what I'm telling you. You see, I never wanted to be a Baptist. Not ever wanted to be a Baptist. But you know what happened to me? I started going to a Baptist church. I started reading the scriptures. I love the way that the Baptists would preach the scriptures. I'm just telling you what really happened. And one day, you know what I did? I said, you know what? I am a Baptist. I just need to go ahead and make it formal. That was all it was to it. I was just making it formal in the end. I really was already there. So I would say to you that you're a part of the church. But when you become a part of the church... You need to realize what that really means. Peter talks about this in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and starting in verse 4. And I would say, pay attention. This is very important. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. It says here that Jesus is a living stone to build the church from the very beginning. Now, understand this. There are three places in the Bible that they talk about Jesus, a metaphor that used uh, by or for Jesus about being living. Jesus first gives living water. That's one of the things he does. He gives living water. You know where you find that? In John chapter 4 verse 10. It's Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Water is the substance of life. You can, you can fast for long periods of time. I fasted for 40 days. But you can't safely go beyond three days without water. You understand? You don't fast on water. If you do, then three days is the maximum. Water regulates your internal uh, temperature. Water keeps your cells alive. And that's living water that Jesus gives, gives us life. Now, living things have about six characteristics. Let's just call them what they are. Six characteristics. Respiration, movement, response to stimuli, Reproduction, growth, and dependence upon their environment. Let's go through those things. Each of those characteristics is found in the person who has drunk this living water of Jesus. 
You see, what happens, respiration is the taking in and the removal of the refuse in your life. In other words, you take in the good things and you start to remove the bad things in your life. This is what happens when you come to Jesus. The movement, you see, you movement, you are in this movement to please God. Sometimes you stand up and sing. Sometimes you, you join the choir. Sometimes you do whatever that movement requires of you to do. Then there's a response to stimuli. You hear the word of God. And sometimes you might say, I agree with that. I agree with it down in my heart. You respond to it and it changes you. And even not only inside the church, but outside the church, you have a reproduction. Reproduction, that means you're trying to reach new people and bring them to Christ. You have growth. There's a maturity that you grow into. But then this last thing a lot of people ignore It's the dependence on the environment. That's what all living things have. And what is the environment that a person has in the church? It is the other people in the church. That we have a responsibility and we respond to each other. We have a dependability upon each other. In other words, you're not just here because you're going to get something. You're here because you're going to give something to somebody else. And maybe it's the encouragement. One of those things is just showing up, by the way, folks. Just showing up sometimes is an encouragement to that person that might be sitting next to you. Second thing he says is Jesus is the bread of life. He's not just the living water. He's also, he says, he's the bread of life. He says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Jesus is our savior. As the Hebrew people needed food in the desert, there was food that came down from heaven Jesus represents that again as we see this. For he is our sustainer. He is the one that that keeps us going. He, He sustains me, I know, when I can't sustain myself. I think so many times of when I'm like Peter that is walking out there on the water and I'm sinking in the water and I say, Jesus, save me. And he reaches out his hand and he sustains me one more time. And sometimes saying, Jesus, save me is the... It's the best thing you can ever say. And so you call on him when you're sinking and he will sustain you. Then the third way is Jesus is the living stone. He is the living water, the bread of life, and the living stone. This metaphor is used in the building of the church. This word can mean a stone of any size or any shape, understand. But in this context, it is a cut stone made specifically here. Jesus is the stone that is rejected by men. You know, men will build a place of worship. Now, it isn't the church always. Men will build a place of a palace, in fact, which they can worship their physical pleasure, their extravagance in money, or even things that will bring them pride. That's what they're building sometimes. You see, and these are the men, these are the people that will reject him. That word rejected that is there in that scripture in verse 4 is in the perfect tense. It means that it's something that has been done in the past and it has continuing results. In other words, these men, these people, they reject him then and they're rejecting him now. And when they make that statement, it means that there are people today that reject who Jesus is. 
and they're rejecting him now. Recently, I went to my 50th high school reunion, and there was one of my friends. He was one of my friends when I was in what you would call middle school nowadays. When we got into high school, we kind of went separate ways. And for him, he went into a world of alcohol and drugs. And I will tell you that in his life, if you were to ask me when we were probably 18 years of age, will he make 30 years of age? I would have said no. He had already broken into drug stores just so he could do drugs out. He'd been caught in that. He'd been sent to a rehab place. All of these things happened in his life. But do you know what changed him? Jesus. Jesus changed him. And when we're there at 50th High School reunion, he was there and I was standing him and there was a group of other guys standing around, old men like me. You know what I'm saying? They're standing around. And he started to exclaim the wonder of Jesus Christ. Do you know what happened in that group? Some of them looked away. Some of them took off. They didn't want to be there. You see, they rejected him sometime in their life, and they're still rejecting him. But he was not going to reject the Jesus that was sustaining his life right now. See, these others just didn't want to hear it. You see, the problem that they had with him is that they had an example of somebody who had truly been changed right in their presence, and they knew he had been changed. They couldn't deny it. So what did they do? They rejected by getting out of there as fast as they could. Jesus is chosen and precious to God, as it says here. This word chosen means he's called out. It is very specific to a person when they're eclectos. They're called out in this. You see, in this context, Jesus is not not choosing Jesus blindly. He's chosen because of what he will do. There's no question what he'll do. We already know what he'll do from Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Not his offspring, not Adam's offspring. But the woman's offspring, and he will bruise your head, talking to Satan, and said, and he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. It really means crush, crush your head. See, her offspring rather than Adam's offspring is used. See, we know from previous sermons that Jesus was chosen before the beginning of time to be the sacrifice for our salvation. You know, do you think it's crazy to choose somebody before they've ever done anything at all. It's called the NFL draft, isn't it? Don't they do it then? They choose them before they even work out a salary that is outstanding. You understand what I'm trying to say? But Jesus doesn't, I mean, but God doesn't choose Jesus based on that. God has perfect vision. He has knowledge and experience. He knows and He knows exactly what each of us is going to do. And he knows when you're going to do it. But God counted him here. Let's not forget, he counted him as precious. God's precious assessment of Jesus opposes the worthlessness men gave him. He was was rejected. He was counted as worthless. He was put aside by men. Romans chapter 14 verse 11 it says, For it is written... 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know why they're rejecting Jesus. But you know what I know? Someday they're not. Someday they're not going to be rejecting Jesus. Someday they're going to stand before Jesus and every knee is going to bow. But you know what? For a lot of people, it's just going to be too late. It's just going to be too late. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. Let's go on. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here it says, we also are the stones to build the church. Jesus is the choice stone that begins the church. In fact, a cornerstone set where the rest of the stones were going to be. You see, when you set that cornerstone, it decided which direction that wall was going to be, and it decided which direction that wall was going to be. It starts the church, you see, and it would be unusual to have a master, which we will call Jesus Christ, and it, it would be unusual for him to be the master and he not to lead you to do what he does. He tells you the direction you need to go here, the direction that you need to go here. Yeah, I found out a lot when my daughter became a doctor. I didn't know a lot about the process. What happens is, is that the moment that you graduate from medical school, you get to put MD after your name. Do you know what that means? It means you've graduated from medical school because you haven't gone through your residency. And when you go through your residency, that's when you learn how to be a doctor. You get out all this head knowledge. But you learn how to be a doctor. And what they do is, is that they have one day in all of America, they have this day called Match Day. It's in March. And on that day, other residency programs decide whether they want you and you decide whether you want them. And if you don't get chosen by a residency program, you don't get a residency. And if you don't get to be a, re- you don't get to be a resident, you're... Odds of being able to practice as a doctor are nowhere, nowhere. Understand this. And so they get into their residency program. And when they start their residency, guess what? They teach them to do. They say, do exactly what I do. That's what they teach them. Do exactly what I do. And as they get, they get further along, when they become a senior resident, you know what they're doing? They're teaching the new residents to do what they do. You say, well, where's the attending doctor? Well, the attending doctor is there. But the fact is, is that it is better for them to to learn from somebody else who tells them to do exactly what they do, who has had somebody else who's told them to do exactly what they have done. This is a discipleship program, folks. Understand that's what's going on here. This is a discipleship program. And what has happened is Jesus doesn't say to us, I want you to do something else. He says, you do what I do. I build the church. I orient the church. And a follower of Jesus must do as Jesus does. Otherwise, the person isn't truly a follower of Jesus. Thus, we become the living stones. He is the cornerstone. And we become the living stones to build the church because he is the first stone to build the church. And we are all oriented toward him. You see, our Christian life is always filled with decisions and processes. 
And we are being built into the spiritual house. And we decide, and we must decide, to follow Jesus. And we're transformed by this. And so that the church is put together with each of us being a stone and placed in its proper place. See, when you look at the stonemasons that built the temple, it's amazing. I've got a picture here. I don't know if you can see Holly Coggin in that picture. You see Holly there? Look how small she is. <laughs> you realize that? Look at those stones. Those stones are all, they're, they're, they were cut up on a hill. They cut, cut them there. And then they, they basically, they slid them down the hill. They had to build up the earth for each layer. And they slid them into place. There is no mortar in between any of those stones. Those stones have to be absolutely cut exactly to fit in there while they're up on the hill. Not when they get them down there and they slide them into place. These are the foundation stones behind her of the temple. The foundation stones are still there. The ones that she's sitting on are the ones when the temple was destroyed and they've been knocked down from the, from the walls of the temple. So what happens here is, can you imagine? Can you imagine you didn't cut it right and you get it down there and it doesn't fit? What do you do with it then? It's not like you can just kind of thump those things around. They are made exactly for the place that they were made for. Understand this. They're cut just exactly right. That's what God wants to do with you. That's what God wants to do with you. You see, when a person comes to Christ, they become a member of the Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. Understand. It's not a denomination. And the church functions to build itself from obedient followers of Christ. But obedience requires participation. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. You see that? It says you've got to go to church. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, I'm tired of reading these books and the people saying, you can be just as strong a Christian and you don't have to be a part of the church. That is hogwash. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear in this. And see, you know, it is coming together and it is necessary for stirring up one another for for good works. It, it, It doesn't mean you can't do good works. But in this process, if you don't join the church, but you need to be a part of the church and doing the good works and part of that. It is to stir up others to do the good works. And we are being built up as living stones to form the church. Encouragement is necessary for that. It's what he says, encouraging one another in this. You see, that may even be the greatest act of the church, encouragement. Well, in seminary, I was a uh, part-time Baptist student union director. And it was my dream job. I'll tell you the truth. It was my dream job. And when you start, there's no guidance. <laughs> you, you just start. You know what I'm saying? There's nobody with you. There's nobody to, to you know, they're with you. There, nobody shows you how to do it. So what you do is you probably do what you learned while you were going to college and you had a, a, a Baptist 
student ministries director at that point, and you probably do some of this stuff, but some of it doesn't work. Some of it doesn't work because you're not the same size, you know, of a, of a university, and the location is different. You've got different people. There's a lot of things just won't work. So you, tr- you do some of the things you know to do in the past, and then you just try stuff. You just keep trying stuff and see if anything works out. At the end of my first year, one of the leaders from the state office came to and met with us. He told us how badly we were doing. He never, he chewed us out for an hour and 45 minutes. He didn't, this is about the worst motivation speech I've ever heard. There's no question, how can I help you? Can you tell me what your problems are? Can we, can we work through any of this? There was no asking of questions. I can tell you something, folks. I didn't need a chewing out. It says, I didn't need to be told how bad I was. I already knew how bad I was. You see, I needed encouragement. But you know what Christians do? We shoot our wounded. That's what we do. This is not what the church should be. We should be a people of encouragement. You know, but fortunately, I'm going to tell you that, that moment changed direction for me into something that I never would have dreamed I would do. I, that's when I set out to work in the church. That's when I set out that I would become a pastor someday. That's when I set out to preach. And I would not have had the hundreds of people that I've baptized if I'd continued in that job. So I'll tell you, God still has a purpose even in those things. So that God takes each of us and and each of you is specifically gifted. He gifts you. He's going to put you in this right place. And it's a place where he wants you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Hmm. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, we are one body, gifted so what? That you will be cut and put exactly in the place that you are supposed to be. We are called to Christ, gifted by the Holy Spirit, and charged to work together. You see, you can't start a movement without involving people. When I was a kid, I took everything apart to the chagrin of my parents. I remember the first watch I took apart. You know, you can take a watch apart. I took a watch apart, and you know, it had the it had a spring, and it had the little timing mechanism. You know, that went around in the thing, and the gears, and the face, and the hands, and all of that stuff. And I looked at all of it, but you know what? They were nothing until you put them together. They didn't do anything until you put them together. And that's the same with us. God has fitted us together for a purpose. It also says followers of Jesus are the holy priesthood. Each of us is a priest. Priests are the ones who communicate with God. You can go directly to God. You don't need to have somebody. to. There's not a go-between between you and God. That's what a priest would do back then. We've all become priests. This is the function of the priest. 
when someone comes forward and asks me to pray with them, I pray with them. Understand. But I know that my prayers are not any better than their prayers. You see, you, the fact that you might have an ordained minister that is doing it doesn't make it a straighter line to God. And truth, folks, I'm not even sure why we ordain people to the ministry. You see, one of the problems I have as a Baptist is that, that we, we say we're all priests and yet we ordain people. Did you know that C.H. Spurgeon, the 19th century preach, uh, prince of preachers, refused to be ordained? He never was ordained into the ministry. George W. Truett, pastor of First Baptist Dallas, relented and was ordained because his church insisted he had to be ordained. T.B. Maston, one of the great professors of Southwestern Seminary, was ordained as a deacon, but he was proud of being ordained as a deacon and refused to be ordained as a minister. And if I had to do it all over again, I don't know that I would be ordained. Because I don't think there's any difference between me and you, whether you've been ordained or you haven't been ordained. I'm just telling you what I believe. You go to God directly. I go to God directly. There isn't a different level of access. Followers of Christ, priests, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And what is that? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, we offer ourselves to his service, you see, and we are giving ourselves to him. You see, and I will tell you something. If you work for the Lord, you will get criticism. You can't escape it. But if you are truly serving him, it doesn't matter. You know, I serve him at the church. Maybe you serve him at the church. I serve him in my neighborhood. Maybe you serve him in your neighborhood. I serve him in my family. Maybe, you know, you serve him in your family. As long as I am serving him, the only evaluation that I really need is from him. And the only evaluation that you need is from him. So I realize it's self-serving for me to ask you to join the church. But I cannot deny that Jesus called people to be his bride, the church. From the beginning, people gathered together to serve Christ as a church. And, you know, I will tell you, church membership means very little if there's no service. In other words, if you don't do anything, it means very little. Some of you, some of you have become members already you're here and you're serving. You just need to realize it. Maybe we should change it, our, our method here. Maybe we got to say serving is joining. For you could be a part of the choir. You could become a greeter. You could join the men on the K-21 that they have on Tuesday nights. You could be someone who prays during the worship services. You could join the food pantry team. You could be one that answers the phone. I, I don't, couldn't list all of the things that you could do. Maybe there's something we haven't even thought of yet. But you need to do what? Do something to build the church. Pray with me.